I want to welcome you to our second message in our series, One Month Left to Live. How many of you have noticed the hourglasses that are up here? Oh, good. All right. Do you know what? Somebody on our tech team built this. Larry Moss built these. Isn't that cool? And um, they're here. They're here to remind us the whole series long that, that time is running out for us. For some of us, we'll live a long time. For others of us, time might be just a little bit quicker. We just don't know when that day will come. But we want to live as though, we want to live as though we only had 30 days left to live. And this morning, we have given you another way, a personal way to remind yourself of that. It's with these green wristbands. So take them out and put them on, would you please? Just grab those things and uh, slip them on. And... Uh, you know, I run into people sometimes that have five or six of these. They have a lot of things to be reminded of. But uh, we'd like you to put those on. And that's a beautiful noise. And actually, it just, there's a little tab you just flip open on that, okay? Some folks on our staff took most of the week to figure that out. But uh, it's just a little tab that you open up, you pull it out, you stick it on, all right? How many of you still trying to find that tab? Okay? So you don't have to feel alone, all right? So just stick that on, and uh, if you didn't get yours when you walked in, uh, they're now for sale, $20 a piece. Just kidding. On the way out, ask the usher. We'll be happy to give you one. This morning, we're going to talk about living passionately. And we thought that we would ask in our community, when it was a little warmer out earlier this week, folks what they were passionate about, and we want you to listen in. What are the people in our community, downtown Naperville, passionate about? Let's watch. In your life, what would you consider something that you're passionate about? Uh, I would say I'm passionate about family and about my faith. Oh, I'd have to say music, I guess. I'm a music teacher, so keep music in the schools. My family. I play some video games often. Good. Yep. Sports. Family. Family. My work. Your work. That's it. Gotta go. That's work. Yeah, we're trying to make, you know, get a decent buck. Please. <laughs> I am. My career. Um, probably about my work. My Great kids. kids. <laughs> but you, huh? My family. Do I have to say more? Um, family, food. Um, I think friends. Chocolate. Passion in my life. Wow. My kids. <laughs> I guess. My passion is my art. Having uh, two uh, boys through fertility, <laughs> I guess. I'm passionate about children and um, sharing the love of God with everybody. My family, my children. Just have fun. <laughs> and Living for the moment. Yeah. Motorcycles. Great. Maybe someday I'll get one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it would be faith and family and friends and traveling. We love to travel, see new places, make new people, new experiences. New experiences. <laughs> I'm in love with my dog. Is that your dog? Yes. This is Axel. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want you to feel left out this morning, so I'm going to throw some topics out there. And if it's a passion for you, say amen. Amen biblically means so be it. So let me just see if we can all say amen together. One, two, three. Okay, so you know how to do it. Okay, here we go. Ready? The Bears. The Cubs. 
The White Sox. Amen. The Packers. Amen. <laughs> uh, dessert. Amen. School. Amen. Whoa, that's good. The winter weather. Amen. Some really sick people in this group. God. Yeah, all right. I'm glad to hear that. You guys are alive this morning. That's really good to hear. You know, we ought to be passionate people, right? We ought to have deep feelings. We ought to have energy about issues because God is a passionate God. Our God is passionate. And the thing he's most passionate about is you. In fact, he's so passionate about you that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. So that through his death on the cross, you could be forgiven your sins. That's just how much God loves you. That's how passionate God is. And I know that we live in a world today that perverts passion. I know that people manipulate it and use it and abuse it for all the wrong means. But passion in its purest form is a wonderful gift, a wonderful blessing that God has given to you and to me. But there's a problem with passion. Passion fizzles out. Passion is one of those things that it's hard to keep it going in your life. If you're not careful, you can lose passionate very, very quickly. I think that's why Paul wrote the words that we discover here in in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, go ahead. And, And listen to what he's saying here in the midst of Christian conduct. He says, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He says, keep your spiritual fervor. And that word fervor in the Greek means boil, like boiling water. Like the the water at Yellowstone behind me there. That's boiling up. It's so hot out of the earth. Paul says, that's what's supposed to be going on in our life. But Paul says, it's not just going to happen automatically. We have to work at keeping it boiling in our lives. See, the problem is... Our lives tend to get too overcrowded. And when our lives get overcrowded with busyness and overcrowded with problems and overcrowded with wrong relationships, we just, we lose our passion. And so the question becomes, how do I, how do I find my passion? How do I sustain passion? Paul says, you've got to keep it going. How do I stoke the fire of passion in my life? Well, I can tell you some ways that Uh, that you cannot stoke it. I can tell you about probably one of the biggest passion killers that's out there. And that's when you and I, that's when we focus on our external circumstances for our passion. When we focus on other people to keep our passion alive. Or when we focus on our uh, events or our happenings to, to keep passion alive in our lives. How many of you know what this is? Now, that's right, it's a yo-yo. How many of you own a yo-yo? Let me see your hands. Oh, cool. All right, how many of you were yo-yo champions back in the day? How many of you students are yo-yo champions now? All right, they have yo-yo contests at school? Like, I remember in eighth grade in the cafeteria, they had yo-yo contests. Do they do that anymore? No, okay. I'm, I'm just, it's a little more high-tech now, all right? Okay, back in the day, that's all we had, all right? But anyway, you know, you know how yo-yos work, right? It's up, and then it's down, and then what? Up, down. Up, down, and eventually it won't come up anymore. You know what? When you base your life on outward circumstances, that's what's going to happen to you. You'll get up a couple times and you're back down. 
If you're basing your passion right now on the stock market, guess what? It's not even been up and down. It's just been down, right? And if you're basing your passion on people, guess what? One day people are nice, the next day they're what? They're grumpy, right? If you're basing your passion on the weather, guess what, folks? You live in Chicago, right? And we're not going to have always sunny weather, 70 degrees like we did earlier this week. It can be up and it can be down. Not a good way to try to keep passion going in your life. Because you go up and down too many times and guess what happens? Pretty soon, you know what happens? Pretty soon you just, you don't go back up anymore. You just get down, you get discouraged, right? As a result of that. As a result of that. So the question becomes, how, you know, how do you, how do you sustain passion? How do you stoke it? How do you sustain it? And the answer to that question is you have to stop looking on the outside and you have to look inside. You have to look within your own life. Now, when I say that, what I am not saying is look to yourself. No, I'm talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus. I'm saying look to God. Because where does Christ reside if you're a follower of Jesus? He resides where? He resides within us, right? The Spirit of Christ dwells within me. So what I want to do is I want to focus on His presence within me because He's the great passion producer. He's the author of passion. And He alone can sustain passion in my life, but my focus has to be on Him. Now, the question then becomes, well, how how do I get in front of Jesus so He can fill me full of passion, and sustain my passion when my life is so overcrowded with busyness and problems and and relational difficulties? To answer that question, how do we get in front of Jesus to be sustained passionately by him? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5, all right? Luke chapter 5. And uh, let's come down to... Verse 17, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And this is a picture I want to present for us this morning of how I think you, you go to Jesus, you get past the crowd, and you find passion in your life, okay? Luke chapter 5, verse 17 says, One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, this is one of those reasons why I hope there are DVDs in heaven, don't you? Or Blu-ray or whatever it is, all right? I hope it's in heaven because I would love to see this. Can you imagine these guys? They're up on the roof. Jesus is inside. There's a group of people listening to Jesus. They spill out into the alleyway, into the street. I mean, the whole place is crowded. And, and you're just sitting there. You're listening to Jesus in the house. And all of a sudden, you notice this, this, you hear this noise on the roof. And then you kind of say, oh, it must be thunder. And then the next thing you know, you see a little bit of dust starting to come down. And then pretty soon, some big chunks starting to come down. And then all of a sudden, you see daylight coming. And all of a sudden, you see this guy being lowered on a mat. And these other guys hanging on to this rope. Wouldn't that be the scene? I, mean, I would love to see that, wouldn't you? Okay, well, I'll enjoy it anyway. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Probably not what they were expecting to hear, right? Kind of like, you can get up and walk now. But Jesus deals with the real issue. And that is the healing of the heart, healing of the soul. 
the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. I think he probably framed it, all right? Everyone, I love this, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Isn't that great? I want to, I, you know, my prayer is that we will go home from each of our worship services and say, I have felt and heard and seen amazing things today. We want this place to be so alive with God's presence. Amen? Well, this morning, let's think about this little picture for a moment. As though what we just read were a picture of our lives. You know, when these guys showed up, we don't know how far they came. By the way, wouldn't you like to have friends like that? That would do that for you? They may have gone over mountains and through valleys, but they finally show up. And they've got their friend in tow. And all that matters to them is that their paralyzed buddy become healed. And, and I don't know what their expectations were. Maybe they thought that they would just bring him along and then they would just walk up to Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't have anything else to do. And they say, Lord, we know that you have... You've made the lepers clean. We know you've made the, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, and the lame to walk. So here's our buddy, Lord. Do you mind, do you mind healing him? Would you raise him up? If that's what they were expecting, they must have been disappointed, don't you think? Because when they showed up, all they could see were the backs of an impenetrable crowd that was already gathered in, soaking up Jesus' time. And I think, what, what could their response have been? Well, you know, the response could have been, gee, sorry, Sam, but uh, this place is really crowded. We're never going to get in to see him. We all got to be at work tomorrow, so we're going to have to take you back home again. And I hope, you know, keep your fingers crossed, he visits our village someday. Or maybe they would have said, well, we've come an awful long ways, and we're not going to turn back. I guess we'll just buy some bread and get some water and just sit here. Who knows how long we'll have to sit here until there's an opening, and then we'll get you in front of Jesus. That's probably what most of us would have done. Most of us probably would have said, well, we're going home now, right? We would have sat and waited it out. But I love these guys. They refuse to just accept it the way it is. They are determined to get their buddy right in front of Jesus no matter what it takes. And I thought this morning we'd, we'd do a little bit of role playing with this. So I want us to imagine that uh, this is that environment. We're going to recreate the scene a little bit. But actually, it's, we're kind of recreating the scene in our lives as well. And I have a bunch of no-speaking parts. And, and I need a, we're going to imagine this is the house that Jesus was in, okay? And I need a crowd around the house. So come on up here and crowd around the house, all right? <clears throat> come on up, all right? And just crowd around, all right? All the way down here. Make a crowd. Don't get in my house, okay? Aren't th- man, aren't that cool that they just did that? You know? Very cool. All right. I got my crowd, all right? Oh, there's an opening. Can't have an opening there. All right, all right. Now, no, you guys stay here, okay? I need somebody out there, one person, to stand in the middle of the aisle. Just one person in the middle, all right? Someone's moving right there, all right? Now, you come back in. You're part of the crowd. All right? 
There's my one person. Stay, come over about three feet. Right there. Perfect. Okay, you're going to represent the friends, all right? Now, here's the scene. Okay, imagine these guys have shown up to get to Jesus. But Jesus is encircled by this crowd, right? And they're all listening and they're all wanting a piece of Jesus, so to speak, right? But, but the friends can't get through the crowd. So what do they do? They do something very desperate. Now stay there. But what they do is they come all the way up. They find the stairs next to the house, which existed in those days. They climb up those stairs, hauling their friend up. Don't drop him, right? They get to the top of the roof, which is flat in those days. People would live on top of the roofs in the hot season because it was much more comfortable than being in the house. And they're up there, and they just start digging. They don't get a building permit, right, to tear apart. They don't worry about the mess. They could care less about the cost. The only thing that matters to them is getting their friend in God's space, in front of Jesus, so that he can be healed. That's all that matters to them. And I love those guys. I love that desperateness that they take, that that drastic move. Now, here's the question. What's the drastic step that you and I have to take to get past the crowd of busyness, to get past the crowd of sin, to get past the crowd of worries and doubt and fears and stuff that sometimes seems to choke Jesus out of our lives and ruin our passion? I want to suggest to you it's a drastic step that you and I have to take is the question. Is the question, what would I do if I only had 30 days left to live? What wouldn't I do if I only had 30 days left to live? That question will eliminate the crowd in your life. That question will move you into the presence of Jesus. Because that question is all about getting to what really matters and what doesn't matter. And I would suggest that not only do we have to ask that question as individuals, we have to ask that question as family, students and parents together, as married couples, as friends. We ought to ask ourselves as families, as couples, as friends, what would we do together if we knew we only had 30 days left on this earth? And what wouldn't we do? I want to suggest that as a whole church, we have to ask that question. As a church, we should be asking ourselves, if we knew that in 30 days, we're all going to be like beamed up out of here, raptured out of here, which would be great, wouldn't it? 30 days from now, it would be awesome, I think, anyway. All right? If we knew that in 30 days, we who are part of EFCN, we're we're just going to be taken out of here, what would we as a church do differently? What wouldn't we do? Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that this, they represent the, the busyness, the problems, the sin, the issues in your life. And I want you to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, all right? All right? But I also want you to imagine that Jesus and the people you really love are surrounded by them. Because I think if you only had 30 days left to live, I think there are only two things that would really matter to you. God, I think, would probably matter to you big time, all right? Because you're going to meet him in 30 days. And I think the other thing that would matter to you are the people you really love. Parents, fam, you know, family, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whoever it is. Your friends, the people you really, really love. If you only had 30 days left to live. If the sand was about to run out. If you knew that within 30 days, things were going to move really fast. And you were going to be the presence of God. What is it right now in your life that you could let go to be in the presence of God? Think about it for a minute. Is there some sin in your life right now? I don't know what that sin could be. Maybe it's, maybe it's sensual sin. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lust. 
Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. If you knew you only had 30 days left to live, honestly, would you hang on to that sin? Knowing you're going to stand before God in 30 days, would you do that? Of course not. I hope not. You confess it, right? You confess it. So I'm going to imagine that everybody from you on go back and sit down, right? So we've, we've kind of confessed our sin here, right? They're not sin, okay? Don't get me wrong, right? But that kind of represents that moving away in our life. But there's still a crowd in our life, right? There's still a crowd in our life. What are the activities that would keep you from God? That keeps you from the people who really matter to you? I mean, I know sports are important. Don't take me wrong. And I know, you know, I like movies and I like television too. But if I knew I only had 30 days left to live, would I allow activities to keep me from God? I tell you what, if I only had 30 days left to live, I'd make it to church every weekend. If I only had 30 days left to live, I'd start reading my Bible and I'd be, like, I'd be praying every day. And I'd take the stuff that I allowed to kind of get in the way of that and I'd go, who cares about that activity? Who cares about that event? Who cares about that issue? It has no eternal impact. I'm not going to let it get in my way. So let's take everybody from here on and go sit down. All right? I just, I just, the whole lot of activities, I'd say they're not worth it. I want to be home to tuck my kids in bed. I want to have time with my spouse. I want to be in church. I want to worship God because I'm going to be there in 29 days. And by the way, for some of us in this room, that could happen. It could be in the next 30 days that we go to meet God. Last night I was laying on my bed thinking about this whole thing, and I was struck with my mortality. Has that ever happened to you? Man, all of a sudden I just realized, wow, I could die tonight. I could die tonight. I could die tomorrow. What am I living for? Who am I living for? You know, for a lot of us, what crowds our life out are worries. And we, wor- we have a lot to worry about these days, don't we? We have worries about, you know, in the political realm. We have worries about the economy. We have worries about our parents. You guys are worried about your parents? Really? You will, okay? Uh, we worry about our parents, right? We worry about our kids. We worry about our wife. We worry about our job. We worry about the weather. On and on and on and on. And Jesus once said, can you change anything by worrying? No, you can make yourself miserable and sick, right? If you had only 30 days left to live, aren't there a whole, isn't there a lot of stuff you're worrying about now you'd stop worrying about? I think so, so I want the rest of you guys to go and be seated. See, what happens is when I ask the question, what really matters the most? What would I do? What wouldn't I do? All of a sudden, what, what happens? I have a clear pathway to Jesus, don't I? The crowd is gone. Thank you so much. You can be seated. And that's what I'm suggesting has to happen in our lives if we're going to live passionately. We've got to remove the crowd that's crowded, Jesus, that's crowded Jesus and the people we love out of our lives. Because if we only have 30 days left to live, all that would matter is Jesus and the people who are important to us. So I want you to do me a favor right now. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to visualize in your mind a room. That room is your life. And Jesus is in the middle of that room. Visualize that with me, would you? Someone came up to me last week and they asked me a profound question. They said, I've lost my passion about God. Why do you think I've lost my passion for God? And you know what? I didn't want to respond right away with some answer off the top of my mind. I've been thinking about it all week. And then as I was working on this, I realized what, what causes us to lose our passion for God is the crowd in our lives. Right now, look at your life in your in your little vision in your mind in that room is there some sin right now 
that's keeping you from God? Maybe even keeping you from the people you love? Are you honestly going to hang on to that if you only have 30 days left to live? Why not confess it right now? Why don't you just say, God, I am, I'm going to stop that. And you know, if it's become an addiction for you, tell us. We're here to help you. We have our faith, hope, recovery ministry. That's there to help you. Because sometimes, like that paralyzed man needed his friends, we need friends to help us get past certain sin habits in our life. But you know what it is right now. Confess it. Give it up. Right now, in fact, give it up. How about the activities in your life? Are, they, are, really, are those activities also necessary? What's keeping you from being here regularly on the weekends? Worshiping your God. Being inspired, I hope, and encouraged by the messages. Can you just give some of those activities it up? What activities are you allowing to keep you from your family? The students, is it the video games, the Facebook, the texting? Is that taking over your life? You only have 30 days left to live. Would you really pursue that? For our parents, how many things do you have to be involved in? How many clubs? How many programs? How many civic organizations? the television, the internet robbing you the time you need with God every day the time you need with your loved ones, your family when's the last time dad, mom you just sat on your child's bed listened to them, loved them tucked them in what are the worries right now you can't change anything about worrying could you just give those to God and clear the path because you know what, he wants to heal your soul he wants to restore passion in you So oftentimes, you know, we just, we, we just get ourselves so focused on what doesn't matter. And I guess what I'm really asking you to do is, is think about when it's all said and done. When it's all said and done, can I ask you a question? What really does matter? Isn't it God and the people you love? While you're thinking about that, I want you to listen to this song. A song that reminds us of what really matters in life. 